What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smalley Talk Podcast. This is your host, Josh Shrinko. And on the other line, I got Christian Vaughn. What's up, Christian? Hello. What's up? We haven't we haven't done a uh, uh, a podcast in a while. In fact, yeah, or I guess together. I'm not, to, I'm not trying to get your cooties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, circle dot dot. Anytime you show up, we always make out too. So there's always a high high uh, chance that we're going to infect each other. Uh, That's just natural. <laughs> there's nothing that can be done to prevent that. So. I'm sorry, but if, that's, if they don't car- carve out a special exception for that in the CDC guidelines, and I don't want any part of it. So. Uh, no, I was going to. Part of a kind of leave already. We haven't seen. It gets a little awkward in here, you know, uh, especially when I'm missing Chris. I just, you know, I've been thinking about him all the time, so just just missing him a little bit. He did, uh, he did weirdly send me, like, two pictures of myself at, like, midnight. Last <laughs> <night>. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else at all, I would be so freaked out. <laughs> well, one of them was you releasing a 21-inch smallmouth, so I think that, that made your night there, bud. So, um, I was going through the old... Google photos and the memories, and I saw some stuff I haven't seen for a while. Send it. Well, we have a your way. We have a little guest here. Uh, Josh sort of teased this out here. Uh, uh, I've never seen him quite, quite so like giddy about a me about a podcast. Yeah, I am. Well, you know how you. This is the first time I've ever seen Josh prepare for an episode. <laughs> he put together a list of twelve questions, which I was I thought was very abnormal. Uh, and on the other line is uh, Drew Gregory. What's up? What's up, Drew? What's up, guys? I'm glad to be here, and you guys are definitely you know, putting a new spin on the definition of fishing partners. It sounds like so. <laughs> Very close okay, partners. Very it. close. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. uh, but well, yeah, I I had a I had like a. Uh, like a um a little introduction for you so you know i would cut i i know you you ruined it you ruined it chris i had this whole thing planned i had it written out i shared it with you so you would would have ruined it and somehow (laughs) chris on our beer reviews we do beer reviews on the podcast literally as soon as the podcast starts he opens up the beer he does not even like Give us time to savor it, anything, and he just chugs it. I'm like, come yeah, on, dude. My wife dude. <laughs> <laughs> popping off right away. Right, Here's what Josh wrote down for the introduction. YouTube star. Oh, hang on. This is right. This is right. He is a YouTube star. Well, it's all right. Yeah, of course. That's why I'm reading it off. You wrote it. Why don't you just hit it, dude? Yeah, I was going to say, this man is a YouTube star. He's he, He's a man of many hats. A YouTube star... He's a podcaster. He is a kayak designer. He is a fishing tournament champion, fellow, and I put in parentheses, fellow angler of the year, because we, you know, both are angler of the years this year. <laughs> he's a he's a tournament series founder. He founded River Bass and Tournament Series. Uh, he's 
I, I just heard this on the last episode that you did with Pat on Thin, your patent holder, which I think is pretty cool. Um, or at least your name's on a patent, so that that's pretty neat. Uh, he's a true OG in the kayak fishing world. But most importantly, this guy is a bonafide river rat and that's why we had him on this podcast so that's that's for those who don't know who drew gregory is that's him in a nutshell does that does that sum it up drew that that may be one of the best like intros i've ever seen because most people <laughs> don't really understand it like you said it's sort of have a lot of different things i have done and it's hard to put that in a bio or explain that or if you didn't follow the industry as long as you guys have been in it you know you, you probably haven't seen me zig and zag to so many different things. If I would just stick to one, maybe I could, I could, <laughs> which hopefully that's what I'm doing here with, with the tournaments. And, and, uh, I, you know, I just enjoy doing different things, man. I think everyone gets old and the same old, same old. So it was fun doing, um, which we, I don't even know if you mentioned that, but well, you did, you said YouTube, but the hooked on wild water show was five. Yeah. Seasons. It was great. Um, and time to move on. I, I want to do something else, enjoy something else. So I'm moving to tournaments since that's, you know, my sponsors have sort of encouraged it. And, I'll give a shout out and credit to John Hipshire from Yakutak. He was the first one who said, look, man, you're fishing like one tournament a year. You fish this national championship every year and you're, and you're 16th and then you're eighth and then you're fifth. It's like, why don't you just focus on that? Because these tournaments are getting bigger and more lucrative and more media exposure. And as your sponsors, we'll, we'll get just as much out of that as we would the show. And the show mm -hmm. is costing, costing me money. And the tournaments, obviously they do cost some and there's travel. It's not cheap, but it's less, more or less expensive than a show. And right. you have the potential to also make money with the winning. So I did that and obviously designed boats up originally when I was with Jackson Kayak and now with Crescent. Um, but no one really captures it all like you just did. And, and I really appreciate the research you did to actually capture all that because I feel like some people just kind of, I don't know, you just sort of, I mean, who else has fallen in my life? Is well, see, I know it, it all, but I feel like and, no one else really knows it. And I don't. Maybe and, no one Josh has well, been watching you. Josh has been watching you for a really long time. Like, just standing there very, silently. Very, 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 I added some things. I didn't. I didn't send it back to Josh, but some other things I added. Uh, skilled love love maker. Uh, <laughs> all around uh, good guy. Um, road trip taker. Um, <laughs> laugh out louder. Um, love loves every moment. Are, there, are these things? Are those things that you feel comfortable endorsing? <laughs> Uh, I mean, not, come on. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> all right, great. Well, I was gonna say, Drew. I didn't. Uh, honestly, dude, I didn't do research to find that stuff out. It, it as weird as it sounds, I I kind of knew that that all that stuff inherently. And I promise I'm not stalking you. I promise this. Uh, it we use the <laughs> we use it's a loose term. <laughs> no, I I well the first thing I had on the list here is like. I I just wanted one to just give you uh, like express my appreciation for the stuff you've done and I know you I'm probably not the first guy to tell you this but you were definitely one of the first guys that I like watched content on and it really got me interested in kayak fishing and it was it was a weird time in my life cuz I had I owned a boat in high school I fished tournaments in high school and they kind of got out of that, sold my boat, and I was kind of like a, uh, 
I was just a lost doggy. I was just like, you know, didn't really, didn't really know what I was doing. I just had gotten married and, uh, you know, I was like, I sold the boat and I sold the boat really just because like it sat in my garage a lot. And, you know, we'll get into this, but that's why a lot of guys get into kite fishing because boats have so much maintenance and take up space, you know, it took up half of my garage and I found myself not using it. And then I was like, man, I think I, I, I can't say that you were exact reason why, but you're one of the reasons why I was like, man, I should go get a kayak that won't take up any space. And then that led me to fishing more rivers because that's kind of naturally where a kayak thrives is like in that skinny water river environment. And then I started catching smallmouth and I'm like, holy crap, these are way better than largemouth. And then I got into that. I mean, that was probably, you know, a decade ago that I really like started that journey. And then obviously it's led on to other things, but I do appreciate just so you know, man, just thank you for all the time you spent doing that stuff because it really like it made a mark on me early on. And it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. It's cool to, cool to talk with you. So, yeah, I mean, that, like, it was at least a decade ago that Josh, or maybe not a decade ago, but it was a long time ago that Josh sent a series that you did on the Devil's River. Yeah. That was like, we watched that video, like, as a group, like, all of us got together, like, Josh had watched it, he's like, you guys have got to see this. So we watched it, and it was like, this is freaking awesome. Like, yeah, the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, it's great. The, the one with it was set to the music, The Devil's Beauty. Yeah. yeah. Is what we call it. That because I've been on the Devils with, um, I took Animal Planet down there. Of course, I guess I didn't have that on YouTube, but, um, and I did a, another. Yeah, I saw that Wild as well. Wild Waters episode yeah. on the Devils, but the Devils Beauty, would, and you know, laughing and joking about all the different things I've done. If I could have just stuck to one thing, look how big YouTube is now. Back then, it was not even nearly that big. There wasn't even such thing as a YouTuber, really. We were just yeah. throwing videos up there, and like, it's just a place to host them. And mm-hmm. I mean. If I could go back in time, on the one hand, I'd say I should have just stuck with doing stuff like that, and I could, you know, like, who knows where my father. You'd be John B., basically. Yeah, John basically. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I enjoy creating and developing products and other stuff that I do so much. And I'll give you guys out there, anyone listening to this podcast, I assume people listen to this podcast, I mean, obviously, for for you guys and the humor. And the, there's the great banter you guys get, obviously. But the other thing, I'm sure they listen to the podcast for us to learn a few things about catching the smallmouth and, and whatnot. And maybe even some people out there are aspiring to do this more, you know, full time. A little secret, if I would have kept doing that for YouTube, I would probably be, you know, who knows how many followers and whatever. But I could be making a living on it for sure, just doing YouTube. But the, the thing with YouTube is everyone sees it as some sort of this glamorous life. But just like Bassmaster Elite Series pros or Major League Fishing, to be a YouTuber these days, because it's, you know, for fishing, it's fun. Everyone wants to do it. Anything that's fun and people want to do um, like that for a living in sports, especially, uh, they're hard to make a living in full time. you got to be, yeah. I mean, insanely good. So we focus on the John B's and those people. But it's like NFL, Major League Baseball, whatever. I mean, I know maybe a bad example of the NFL, but Major League Baseball is probably a better one because they have minor league guys who, who there's more making thirty five and $50,000 a year in the minors than there are. The ones we think about, you know what I mean? That are like, oh yeah, Harpers. So the point is, you it's not a lifestyle. It's not an easy lifestyle for someone who wants a family. And you don't really make if you're not one of those main giant names. You're not really making that much money. And here's what you have to do to to be a YouTuber or to do that 
and hopefully this will help some people out that are aspiring to do it. It's not as, you know what it's cracked up to be. I mean, if that's your passion, go for it because you can get to you know be one of those top folks. But you got to you have to literally probably uh, be fishing, filming yourself fishing, obviously fishing, and then editing, posting it, and then replying to the comments. Repeat nonstop. Yeah. There's no break in your life. You have no, no room for a family. You got to be traveling all over or or anything you know extracurricular in your life. It's pretty much that. Otherwise, you're not posting enough content daily today to ever move up to the algorithms to ever feed the beast you know what i'm saying so you'll notice most of those youtubers they put stuff out all the time and they are single or they started when they were single most all of them and had the time and that's what it takes it's not even about that's why hooked on wild waters i get comments like about the show how it was the most the best produced kayak fishing show they've ever seen and i in my opinion it, it was i agree with those people that make those comments but that isn't what drives it's not what drives more views. It's it's posting on like content literally every day with just your GoPro held up, and that gets more views. And unfortunately, that's the world we live in. It's just all about the views and the clicks, and it's it's mm-hmm. less about you know quality these days, but but more quantity. Unfortunately, so anyone aspiring out there, just that's a little heads up. I'm actually glad my life didn't end up that direction, and uh, I was able to design bo- products, you know, boats, and I say products because there's more stuff in the works that. I can't really talk about now. Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, if you're listening to the Smalley Talk podcast, you'll get a teaser. And trust me, they are small mouth related, big time. So, as a heads up. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That's that's cool. We'll we'll, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely end up talking about them. I'm sure. Um, and just one more thing on that. I'm actually also glad because these tournaments, guys, they are a lot of fun. These catch and release kayak fishing tournaments. For here's what's cool about them. I don't. I mean, I have a camera on me, and I, I use that footage, but I just get to go fishing. That's what I love about it, and not worry about with the production company and doing all the stuff like that for YouTube, it, for my show with Hooked on Wild Waters, it was about where could the camera get me the best and the sunlight, and now oh, we got to stop and do this scene and that scene. It's just, it was not, it was not, it sounds crazy. It's more fun than being in a cubicle, obviously, like working somewhere else, right? Because we're in the wild, we're doing, you know, fishing related stuff, but it's not as much fun, technically fun, is as it, we make it look, which is the job to make it look like when, when you guys are out there fishing on your weekend, that's what hopefully the show looked like. We're having a blast. And we did. I mean, don't get me wrong, but, you know, the tournaments are, are cool because I just get to let loose and I'm not restricted anymore by any yeah. remote. They can't keep up and follow. So No, I totally get that. We, we struggle with that a little bit as, you know, as content creators uh that's why we kind of pick podcasts as a medium because it's very little editing involved very little like equipment involved and we'll go out and that's the thing like even as simple as it is the podcast we'll go out and fish and like oh yeah hey we're gonna record a day on the water and then we'll get done with the fishing like man we didn't record anything we were just fishing the whole time so (laughs) i mean it happens all the time and in fact the last time we went fishing chris lost my 20 incher and we ended up losing that recording. So we'll talk about that another day. But I was going for a t- 10, 20 at smallmouth this year. Took Chris out on, what was it, December? It was like the 23rd. And uh, he hooks my fish, hooks my 20-incher. So, but I could have lived with it if he would have got it in. And he breaks it off. So, yeah. Very, very disappointing, Chris. I'm I'm disappointed yeah, I saw in you. you over there 
jacking around with my shit before we went out of the water. <laughs> and I was afraid my line or something. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. So, but uh, I guess you guys are out. This kind of leads me into one of the questions that I wrote down on the on the sheet here, because. Um, we kind of knew, like like Josh kind of explained, we kind of knew you first as just kind of a content creator. Um, and then, of course, you've done all these other, you know, interesting things later on. Who are, like, if you have, like, five five guys that you watch, like, five content creators that you pay, other than, I mean, obviously, uh, Small Talk Podcast, number one, obviously, number <laughs> one. Take, take that one out. <laughs> five other content creators that you pay attention to. Like, who are they, uh, and what do you like about what they're doing? Yeah, that's a good one. So you're talking, uh, you know, I could go podcast or video, anything. anything. Yeah, sure. yeah, that's uh, a good than, one. Other than Smalley Talk, we'll just take up Mr. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, that's a good question, and I've got uh, several I can think about. So one that would be, I think, surprising to some people is um, probably not you guys because you know him. He's he's not too far from where you, you guys are. But uh, Johnny Schultz with Fish the Moment on YouTube does a really good job. I don't know if you guys. No, I don't. I d- we don't. Yeah, I don't. Fish the moment. He's got Shout the best Johnny. YouTube. Yeah, best YouTube channel on, in my opinion, on fishing instruction. But he he goes beyond. He goes. He takes instruction to a whole other level. I mean, this guy could be Bassmaster or Major League Fishing Pro Elite. I mean, Elite Series Angler of the Year. He could be. I mean, he he really can catch him. He uh he interviews uh, Randy Blockett, who's a former Bassmaster, you know, FLW guy. But anyway, he's really good at instructional. He'll teach you how to use your fish finder. And he will say, here's what the black area is, you know, on here's how to understand like the Mega 360 or whatever. You take any side imaging. What's that black area between the, the right there? And where is that structure actually on your boat to help help fishermen understand? Now, you're like, well, that's surprising, Drew, because you don't really do a lot of that stuff because his main thing is offshore techniques. But what I like to do is I like to learn about all that stuff because there there are times when it's still necessary, you know, for, for any species, you know, smallmouth, largemouth, whatever. Yeah. And he's just really good. He's really good at explaining it. Teacher, he, he's interviewed Rick Klun. He's close friends with Rick Klun, and he's a young guy. He's, I mean, he looks like he's, he's got a little bit of baby face, but I'm still putting him in, you know, around 30 years old, 30, 30 something. He's this incredible, incredible source of knowledge. If you've never checked out that, um, and he just got a kayak, actually, so he's going to do some kayak content. It's done a little bit. But uh, check him out. Uh-huh. It's called Fish the Moment. And they do live streams. Him and Randy Blockett do them all the time. And other, other guests he has on. And they actually are in a podcast form as well. So if you're really wanting to learn stuff, especially about electronics and offshore fishing, he's a good one. Another one would be, you know, I'll give a shout-out to... Well, before, before you name the second guy, I actually have watched this guy's videos because I just looked them up because yeah. I just bought I just bought a um, uh, an Altera trolling motor with the uh, with the uh, um, integrated side imaging mega side mm-hmm. imaging and I watched this an instructional video that you did on and I thought it was awesome so yeah that's awesome yeah. okay anyway go ahead yeah that's him I figured you, that's kind of how I found out about him um, so you, you know you're just looking something up learning something and and he'll he'll have it so uh, you know another one. On podcasts, you know, I kind of look forward to listening to, if you're into the actual business side, the back end of our industry, you know, Luke Duncan's a good one. Um, he is a, a big follower of, you know, I'll say this, 
you know who Scott Butcher is, obviously you guys in the kayak fishing world, he's very mm-hmm. much, I feel like, the Scott Butcher of the bass boat world. He's you know, a little bit opinionated. He's, he's kind of funny, loud. He definitely is a little opinionated and, and leans a little bit more BASS than the major league fishing side of things. But he also talks about the business side and the back end of the industry, which to me is a little bit interesting. It may not be interesting to all the listeners here. So sorry, but if it is, cool. Uh, just because I'm in the industry and I like to hear kind of what opinions and thoughts are, what's going on on the back side of things that on the business, I'm also interested in that, not just because I'm in the industry, but a lot of people don't know uh, my master's degrees in sports management. And I used to want to be a sports agent at one point and, and was just really into that. Uh, and I still love sports, obviously, but it, it sort of goes a little bit, uh, you know, on into like the back end of just our industry and the, that it, because it is a sport. This industry is revolves around a sport slash pastime hobby, whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's a sport for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to me to hear his takes on things. And uh, another one, uh, if you're, by the way, if you're also interested in that sort of back end, there's one called the Business of Fishing Podcast. If you're looking to learn some stuff, they'll interview like, uh, I don't know, like the, the founder of, of Hook Gear or somebody. You know what I mean? Like the industry nice. people. And you can learn a lot about uh, how – Know, how to stand out or whatever the topic may be, how to get sponsorships. You know, they talk about the stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Um, and then as far, you know, I'll give a shout out to Greg Blanchard in the kayak fishing world because he makes really good videos and oh, yeah. uh, tournament vlogs. I and mean, everyone knows Greg, good dude. And uh, Christine Fisher does a great job with their stuff as well. She's just on the ball. She does a good job. So I want to throw some kayak fishing folks out there. And then another podcaster um, that I like to listen to, um, the guys from Straycast, they're a little wild. <laughs> if you've ever listened to them, they're a little wild. But uh, once you start getting into it, they're, they're pretty funny to follow along with. And then obviously Mike Iconelli, he's, he's hard to beat too oh, yeah. in terms of a content creator and his Ike Live stuff in the, in the uh, Bass University. It's just you know, that's, that's just all interesting stuff, and they have a lot of good, good guests on there. I'm probably missing somebody that's pretty obvious in terms of other content, but... Good stuff, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, I'm going to rewind a little bit here because I want to I get into uh, kind of how you even got into kayak fishing so early. Um, what's, what's your, like, uh, kind of backstory and, like, w- like, how you even got into fishing out of plastic boats? But other than the fact yeah. that... We, I, you know, I, I forgot to mention on that first list is uh, how you really became famous, and that is by getting attacked by a goose. So, <laughs> that was <a> really we, <laughs> <laughs> the goose laid the golden egg, you know. Sure. No, but uh, how how'd you get into kayak fishing, man? What made you yeah, go yeah. towards that? You know, and all joking aside with that goose thing, I wasn't a Jackson kayak then. So I was already designing the Goosa with Jackson. So if everyone, if anyone actually believes that we're, you know, serious about that, oh, that guy got lucky, he got attacked by a goose in this video went viral. Yes, it was a viral video, but I was already designing my signature series kayak with Jackson. They didn't decide, hey, now that you're, you have a, you know, a goose attacking you, that goes viral. Yeah, I name on the kayak. I would do that. Which actually, that would have made the opposite. You know, getting your butt kicked by a goose typically doesn't give you credibility. So. It was pretty funny, though. I'm not gonna lie. Sitting around there, sitting around the boardroom, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we got the goose guy? 
Yeah. And we know he doesn't catch any fish but he kind of attacked by a goose and let's just help him to have him come to the Zonic High for us. No, but yeah, you know, gosh, Goose Gregory, the alliteration is just unbelievable. I, people, I've heard so many things about that. But, um, but to get back to your question, when I first got started, um, that was the question, right? How did I actually get started yeah. in kayak fishing? You know, it's actually a cool story. It's probably similar to you know why so many people listen to this podcast and why you guys got started. Um, it was just the best tool for fishing a river. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no better tool for it. So I was in college, uh, 2004, my senior year. What was 2004? I can't even remember, man. Maybe, yeah, 2004. And... I was at Lee University, and a friend of mine was a whitewater kayaker on the Ocoee River. He, he paddled all the time, former whitewater raptor, Chris Townsend. And he said, hey, man, let me get you in a whitewater kayak. And, and Chris is a big guy. He's like, you know, power forward on the basketball team. He's six foot three, four. And so he's not really your prototypical whitewater kayaker, but he just loves the outdoors. The guy's from California originally, just a cool dude. And he said, let me get you in this whitewater kayak because you're, you know, five foot, you know, n- nine all right, five right. foot eight, whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> you're a small dude. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you are perfect to get in a kayak. You don't understand how perfect you would be. Plus, you know, he played, uh, I played volleyball there on the club volleyball team. He played with me as well. And so, he, you know, we love sports. He kind of knew I was athletic minded person. And, and so he said, you just need to try it. I'm telling you, you'd be great at it. And so he, uh, Took me to the lake one day, and we learned how to roll a whitewater kayak in one day. So I went from never whitewater kayaking to rolling one, and one, that was cool. It was, Baptism it was by fire. Yeah. <laughs> but then the next day, he said, okay, we're going to put in a little play hole in the Koi River and just kind of surf a wave, whatever. I didn't know what any of that was, but I was like, sure, let's do it. So I did that, and I, whatever. I flipped over several times and correct, got myself back up and you know, never had to pull the whitewater skirt. But I was like, all right, cool, I can do this. And then the next day, he said, okay, we're running the entire river. <laughs> so if you know anything about that river, it's, you know, class class four and five. It's insane rapid. There's a lot of whitewater rafting companies. It's one of the most popular in the southeast. But you just don't go from never whitewater kayaking to running the entire Ocoee. And it, so it definitely was, you were right, baptism by fire. And I'm not saying I did anything great. I'm just floating along like, you know, uh, like not really knowing what I'm doing, just going down rapids, just getting beat up. And I was fortunate, thank God. I never had to pull my skirt, and every time I was able to focus, you know, like paddle up, spin, and like flip over, you know, flip the hips, and I never had to, to pull my skirt, and thank God I never did, because when I got to the end of the, the um, river, the little tab that's there for you to pull if you need to, to get out was tucked inside, and, and you know, it was supposed to be out, tucked inside, so it wasn't there to grab anyway. So you would have been screwed. I was, I, you know, I'm told that your adrenaline, will, you'll bust out of it if you had to, but it still freaks me out to this day thinking, you know, what would I have done if I would have never, you know, whatever, just just lost my breath and had to do that, I'd have been freaked out. But anyway, I learned a little bit about whitewater kayaking by fire, which reminds me of a, speaking of Jackson kayak, a story from Eric Jackson, who... When he was, uh, when Dane Jackson, his son was two years old, and he admits this story is probably a little crazy, but he said, We just built a little Kenny kayak, and we were in Canada, and there's a class four, it's a big, giant wave, class four rapids. And they just put Dane, who's two years old, and I'm thinking about, you know, my son's two and a half right now, so I'm thinking how insane <laughs> to me this sounds. And they put him at the, somebody's at the bottom of the rapid, and someone was at the top, and they just put him in this little teeny kayak. 
with, you know, I guess he's wearing a little life jacket or something, and they just push him down the rapid. <laughs> oh, that sounds very responsible. But look at, but I, it sounds crazy, but I mean, look at the result now. I mean, Dane Jackson's the best whitewater kayaker in the world, so he's, he's done yeah, this since wild. he was two. And, you know, of course he flipped over and they had to go save him and stuff. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just nuts, man. It's, it's nuts. But uh, that's, to get back to your the whole point of this, I get off on these little tangents. But, you know, I was baptized by fire for the river. And I'd previously been a river fisherman. Just I love wading rivers with my dad. I didn't have a lot of money. You know, my dad was a uh, he's a pastor or a minister. Not really a pastor. He did pastor for a few years, but minister and and, and uh, Georgia there where we grew up in Atlanta. So we fished a lot of rivers, didn't have a lot of money, had a little John boat. And then after that experience in college, I had a little teeny bass boat in college. I bought a little used one. And then when I got back home doing graduate work, I was like, I got to get, you know, I'm living with my parents again, which is kind of annoying and frustrating after you've had four years, okay, five and a half years of college time. <laughs> again, the hesitation there. All right, maybe it took me a little bit longer. But I uh, was frustrated. I was like, I got to get away a little bit. I need some space. You know, I'm just living with my parents again. It's, you know, so I went out and just fished. And I waded the rivers and explored new rivers in the area um, over there in Snellville, Georgia. And, and I could only get so far wading. So I said, I've got to find a way I can get further in these rivers. And I looked up river fishing, Google river fishing in Georgia and a guy, and that's actually crazy because it's the only state I know of that had a website like this back in the day it was just a website called georgiariverfishing.com and a guy started uh, by name sam that i became friends with and there was just forums on there maybe a few hundred members at that point and it was just all about fishing rivers in georgia and i was hooked and a few people there you know i saw photos of them in kayaks catching fish and i said hey wait a second i thought back to that whitewater kayaking experience and I, and just I was like, this makes so much sense. It's the best tool to get into these places because you got some rocks and rapids and shallow water. And the rest is sort of history. I started posting huge fish in that uh, forum and standing. In my first kayak was an ocean kayak caper, and it's not very big, eleven foot three, maybe thirty inches wide, thirty one, and it's not meant to stand in. Maybe a twenty two, twenty three inch little standing little platform area, and it was already standing in them. And and again, going back to being blessed to be a little bit, you know, smaller and, and uh, shorter, which helps with the, the balance and the standing, obviously, on kayaks and a little bit of coordination. It was just a match made in heaven. I mean, all of it kind of came together. Yeah. So that, that's how it all happened for me. That's really cool. That uh, which we we kind of have similar, you know, type stories. We get came along a little bit after that when it was a little more developed. It was kind of crazy. You know, your Jeff Littles of the world and those guys that were doing it like 10 years before you did it and were like in, you know, these sit-in kayaks that are just like completely, you know, they're retrofitting stuff. So we had a little bit more of a, you know, advantage of getting stuff that was already set up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's, we, we have since branched out. We both have jet boats now. And we have uh, a drift raft between us two. And, uh, you know, there's there's other ways to access it. But the kayak, especially for a single person, you know, is is definitely the best way. It's the most fun way for me to, to access it, yeah. for sure. When you're chasing uh, a fish like smallmouth, right? They're such a river fish. I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a perfect tool. River Smallies, you know, I don't know if that website's still around, but that was a big one back in the day. Yeah, riversmallies.com. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. it's just the perfect tool. A lot of guys were getting into kayaks, and 
you know, the rest is history. Now that now the fish pretty much have nowhere to hide. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of brings me to my next. So that was a really, that's a cool story. Um, and this is be the, the, the last time we talk about tournaments in this podcast, because we get a lot of feedback when I do tournament recaps that like, Hey, tell Josh to stop doing tournament recaps. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, so you, as you alluded to, you got into tournaments of the season a little heavier. And, and I'll admit, like, whenever you, I think, fished one of your first uh, KBF National Championships, like, that that was, um, I can't remember which year that was, but I was, like, really, one, I qualified that year and I didn't end up going. But I really had no, I had an idea that, I think it was on Kentucky Lake, maybe, yeah, that year. A, and I was like, I won't. Yeah, and I was like, you know what, I wonder, and I talked with Chris, I was like, man, should I go do that? I was like, because if I go, I was like, I'm running up the rivers, like, and I was like, I was like, I'm going to go, and I used, I fished Kentucky Lake several times in the past out of a boat, and obviously you don't have that option, you know, in a bass boat, Um, and I remember thinking, like, I wonder if Drew's going to do that, and uh, sure enough, dude, you, you know, I, I caught wind that you were, like, going up you know, these creeks and rivers and fishing. And, uh, I think it was really cool because, and you've mentioned this on other podcasts, uh, uh, including yours, but like, I think a little bit has gotten lost in the kayak community. Like, you know, like we were saying, kayaks are like designed to access like inaccessible waters. Like that's really like the advantage to them. And I think slowly it's kind of trended towards, bigger boats, more stable boats, motors and all that. And I'm not hating on that because it's, you know, that's fine if guys want to do that, but what it becomes is basically a one man bass boat at that point. And you're, you're losing a lot of the like advantage. Uh, so I do hope they kind of keep allowing people to do that, uh, to access like skinnier waters. And, you know, I, I, I hope that that continues, but it's kind of cool seeing you do that. Um, so talk a little bit about that this year specifically, like what your kind of against the grain style has been yeah, uh, yeah. in those tournaments and, and how you were successful. That's a great question. It's a great topic, really. Um, you know, and if you don't, there's tournaments, there's a lot to learn here. Um, and even on your tournament recaps, I mean, hopefully people don't, you know, hate too much because you can take what happened as definitely learning and tactics, you know, applying right into the podcast for people. Oh, that don't people, tournaments. people like them. Chris just gives me hard times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, the, the tactic is a little bit against the grain. There's a lot of other guys that do it, but I prefer, so because I got into kayak fishing, as we just talked about, to access wild water, right? River bass and, and other wild places that boats can't go. That's the pl- those are the places I enjoy fishing. And these tournaments are, are, you know, you can't play defense. There's, you know, no way to really compete against the other anglers. You're really still just fishing on your own like you always do. Like everybody listening to this podcast that doesn't fish tournaments, you go out on the weekend. That's really all we're doing. You can't control what anyone else does. But I still want to have fun. Because I want to have fun and fish the kind of water that I enjoy and why I got a kayak, that's just why I go to those places. There are certain times when those places don't appear to me to be working out to win a tournament or do as well as I hope. Because, and I've said this on so many podcasts, as much as I would love for, you know, every time I somehow get my kayak into some place that's, you know, five and six miles away and had to 
go through so many obstacles to get there. I wish that there would be magically all these big fish there, but it doesn't always happen. You know what I mean? In these tournaments, that's just not the reality. Is it's you know still fishing, and just just because it's wild doesn't mean that huge fish are there or lots of fish and you're going to win. So that's why I focus in those areas. It's what I'm strong at, obviously, with the experience. So I think I can do well there. And obviously I did do well there this year. But I, on the flip side, I feel like if you're really good at lakes and you are doing the one-man bass boat sort of thing, uh, I mean, more power to those folks, right? Because sure. that's the beauty of the kayak. We get a chance in our industry, in our tournaments, to show off that you can fish offshore or uh, you could fish on Lake Erie, you know, many little bass boat, like you said, with a motor or whatever. You could fish in, you know, middle of Lake Wachita, whatever. You can still hit all the structure that bass boats can, but you can also go and hit little backwaters on Lake Chickamauga or Gunnersville and places that the boats can't get, or even further in creeks and rivers that they can't get into, uh, just due to rocks and rapids and just the size of them being smaller logs that, you know, cross them. So that's sort of my strategy that the risk in that um is if you show up and other people are there rivers definitely have a lot of uh i feel like it's a little easier to find some fish and they're a little bit more aggressive and more willing to bite but sometimes you run into a lot of smaller fish and certain you know creeks and rivers that feed into these lakes it's hard to find which ones have the bigger ones that takes to win and it's also very scary the morning of the tournament to find out how many people might be at that you know, oh yeah <laughs> because you know as you know because yeah. they are aggressive and it's and sometimes once once you really get them dialed in same way with the lake guys once you really get you know your navionics scouting and all your offshore spots dialed in you're you're more than likely you may find another person that's really good at that uh sitting in the same spot on tournament day so it's a little scary because there's only two banks you're floating down or paddling up and there's just only so many you know you, if it's a smaller creek you're no one's winning. If five people show up there, you're all now you've all kind of kind of screwed each other in a way. If you all, you know, not not in a negative way, it's just the way it is, you know. Um, so that's the risk in it. But I like going that direction. If I would have, you know, lost one fish here or there this year, I probably wouldn't be angler of the year, and um, it maybe isn't getting as much attention as as it is. But I do believe it's a viable. It's going to continue to be a viable way to to do well in these tournaments. But I think it's getting more popular and it's going to just get tougher and tougher in these tournaments if they ever cut off the boundaries for that that it really hinder us um it's going to hurt the sport uh, a new tournament trail will start that's the beauty of you know business new tournament trail will, will start that will embrace that because that is why we are in kayaks most all of us and in that that'll it'll they'll start becoming the, the major because here's the thing bass boat tournament trails and the major fishing tournaments they don't want us pushing into their turf. You know, the bass boat world, they, they don't want us pushing into their turf uh, either. They start to have a lot of disdain for us, in my opinion. I've talked to people, bass boaters, they, they feel that way. Like, man, you guys have all that, these other creeks and rivers. How come they're only letting you go so far? Because I'll tell them, hey, we have a boundary here or there. And they're like, why? And it's all hmm. it's all water that's connected, and that's the reason right. we have those. Why aren't you guys just fishing a bass boat tournament then? And, and I agree. So hopefully they, they don't ever – take the kayak out of kayak fishing as i like to say and they let us do that because that's that's just why we got into it yeah and i don't i don't see any anything wrong with, like i said that but 
um, as long as they don't start limiting, like almost like um, kind of looking down on people that are using that style of fishing. Like, oh, right. you know, you're you're kind of skirting the rules. Like, I'm like, well, that's kind of what kite fishing should be all about, in my opinion. Um, and that's you know, a lot of it was cool to see you take some like you know, a ten foot kayak and fish some of those tournaments. Like, you know, that's yeah. uh, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I agree, man. I hate it when they disrespect someone. Disrespects. I mean, I saw a comment that someone said, you know, in the rankings, the recent rankings that that were put out, um, I was like third, but someone was saying, oh, I pushed Drew Gregory my little personal opinion rankings down to fifth, and their logic was because he he fished in a, a skinny water, and I, and I just <laughs> well, in places something like that it was something to that effect. He was doing it in a river or a creek, and I was and and it was all water that was all inbound it's just as inbounds as an offshore brush pile 30 foot in other words he's basically saying i don't give you that as much respect for that as someone who caught fish off a 30 foot you know brush pile which to me that really irritates me because that's what you know that's i don't know that's just what i love and i and it's not easy to do man it's not easy to do that oh stuff. no it's at all it's nice to easy. find it well and this this kind of leads also it's also a big gamble i mean because yeah. You know, you go paddling that far, you get to that remote spot, and somebody else is there. Your gamble just hasn't paid off, you know. And yeah. I mean, or, or you're gonna have to work <laughs> twice as hard to make it. Or you, know, pay off or you could do like to, like me and Chris. If we go go to the river and there's someone there, we just paddle ahead like a mile. <laughs> that's usually yeah, what we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, that's, just, I mean, that's, that's way more courteous than you probably even need to be. Really, a mile is a long way, but um, but for sure, uh, that's the way to do it. Just get on ahead yeah i, I always have to do that because i fish fast so i'm like hey look guys i'm not trying yeah. to get ahead of you but i'm gonna either fish i'm gonna catch you and then pass you um so either just, that or i'm gonna be riding up your tail the whole time and you know yeah holding hands yeah. well and and that's a i something that doesn't get talked about a lot that i always when i first got into like kayak river fishing i'm the same way like same style fishing i'm like a power fisherman like i my theory has always been to cover water like the more spots you hit the more high percentage casts you make the more structure and stuff you go past like the better chance you have of you know finding big fish um so the what's cool about a river though is like i've never felt the need to put a motor on because the current is your motor so right. that's what I always thought was like a really, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's when I fish a lot of river tournaments, I typically do pretty well in them. And a lot of it's because I treat fishing in a river like that. I think a lot of guys fish rivers that don't fish them a lot. They fish them more like lakes. They like spot fishing and they'll go and find a tree and they'll fish it for half an hour, which obviously that can be the ticket sometimes. It's not like, you know, you're going to be fishing fast all the time, but you're, you're kind of fishing against the uh what what the current would be able to the advantage it would give you so um yeah no doubt hey real uh, quick man i'm gonna break it and finish that topic because i just thought yeah go ahead man yeah this could who knows with me you never know this could be like a two-hour podcast sorry (laughs) but i was thinking about you know one reason i got into the kayak is because i didn't have any money and it was inexpensive a lot of people the same way and a lot of people have money right they could buy a bass boat and they choose a kayak but a good majority of people i know out there just don't have a lot of money and if we continue to make this sport about being a little mini bass boat and you got to have five thousand dollars worth of electronics um if you cut off these little wild places it's going to become a, a live scope 
a panoptics fish finder tournament, which again, it's just mini bass boats. That's all it is. All we're doing is the exact same thing as the bass boat world, but in kayaks. You're, you're pretty much telling this, any kid out there, any young kid who has a dream to do this, that this is now golf. This is now football. It's a sport that will take a, a, a lot of money. It's no longer soccer. It's no longer, you know, something that could be like baseball, really. It's pretty simple. A stick and a ball in some remote countries when people don't have money, they still, you know, these these uh, island countries, right, that produce a lot of good baseball players. It's because it just takes a stick and a ball. You don't even need gloves to learn it orig- originally, right? But golf and, you know, football, hockey, more complicated sports that take equipment and money, we're we're taking the, all of the reasons this sport is awesome, and we're removing it if we do that, and that's what's frustrating. I want people to be able, if they if you're if you're not rich and wealthy, weren't born into that, you should be able to kayak fish and have a dream of being, you know, uh, even a pro kayak fisherman at some point. I know you could people out there are probably saying, well, they don't have to do it. This is only if you're doing it at the highest level because someday, obviously, at the highest level, people will have all the technology and we'll need to spend a lot of money, but. You get my point. It kind of starts to make it feel like that's because if they take you know rivers and creeks out of like you're saying out of play more, it, it, it literally turns it into a mini bass boat tournament, and, and which is becoming about more about the motors, the batteries, the electronics, and therefore if you don't have money, to, you're not going to compete with those guys. They have an advantage, economic advantage, and they and you'll, they'll win the majority of the time, and that's just well, not right. I don't think. Yeah, I I agree, and I think the. You know, from a business standpoint, I've always, because I, at one point I started to open up a kayak shop and that didn't go through, but I, Chris and I are both small business owners and I like have a business degree. That's kind of where my mind goes with things and the kayak industry in general, really it opened, it's, it opened up a whole new segment and the whole, the reason why I opened up a segment it wasn't necessarily because you could access places and all that. It's just low barrier to entry. Like yeah. it, it, guys could go out. I mean, the first kayak that I bought was a Future Beach, three hundred dollar Dick Sporting Goods special, and it cost me three hundred bucks to to get into it. You know, and I I have a um, a nephew who same thing. He just bought a, his dad got him a kayak for Christmas. It was like, you know, four hundred dollar kayak, and it's like you can get. Used to you couldn't do that. You you would have to be fishing off the bank, and now you can get into something that can get you into ninety percent of the places. Um, and it it does it gives guys like like my nephew an opportunity to like explore his passion for fishing. Um, whereas before, like your my dad had a bass boat growing up. That's why I got into it. You know, not everybody has mm-hmm. that. So yeah, I think as they get further and further away from that like simplicity it does it does push it pushes a lot of the the potential new like people out of the sport so yeah i totally agree with that um all right so now we got we got past the tournament thing we're gonna get into some good stuff here so this is uh this is where we really this is kind of our forte um so here's what i want to want to ask you drew so when you're when you're looking at uh, at going to a river system that you've never been to, okay, so brand new river system, and you're figuring out um, how to approach it, what what's your just give me your general like process for when you're going to to, to fish a tournament and you got you got a couple days to pre fish like 
or even just fun fish or whatever, how do you break down the river system about where to go, what areas to check out? And we're, we're talking smallmouth here. So I'm, I'm going to specifically mm-hmm. say smallmouth because obviously largemouth is going to be a little bit different. Um, but how do you break down a river? How do you eliminate spots, you know, highlight spots sure. to check? Like what, what do you do? Sure, sure. So, you know, smallmouth are – they're actually very similar to shoal bass and their their seasonal movements and migrations. I, I fish for a lot of shoal bass, um, a lot of shoalies as we call them uh, in Georgia, and and obviously I fish for a lot of smallmouth as well. Uh, living in South Carolina, North Carolina, we've got some smallmouth waters nearby and travel all over the country to to catch them. So basically, what happens is uh, in the winter, um, obviously we don't. You didn't really say what time of year season, so I'm going to quickly just say. So in the winter, uh, you know. They're going to stack up somewhere, just like it, all winter fish do, right? But but most of you guys aren't fishing in the dead of winter. So let's move real quickly to spring. And what what shoal bass and smallmouth do in rivers that have, again, there's all kinds of different rivers. So it's this is a little bit tricky question. One of these days I'm going to write a book about this and put all this in there because there's like – what I like to say is every rule is meant to be broken. So I'm talking to people right now that live in rivers that have like pools and, uh, you know, like a long um, run section or, you know, pools and then shoals and rapids, right? And then mm-hmm. they can dump into more pools. And some people, you know, if you're here in Ohio, for example, where I live now, these are, this still applies because there's long, slow sections and your ripples are, and out there in the Ozarks or wherever, it's kind of like this in some places. It's not true humongous rocks with rapids and tr- true shoals and pools like you would have on the, the New River or rivers in the southeast. But you still have some uh, shallow where it gets super shallow and, and it can tracks all the water and, you, and it's swift and it rolls over it and it creates more of a ripple, ripple than a, you know. So what I've seen them do is, let's say you got a half a mile of a longer kind of run, deeper, slower section. They might be in this section in the winter, but in the spring they have this urge to um, get back into the shoals, not just to spawn, but to, and this will all come full circle here in a second, but to feed on the creatures that they, that have been living in those shoals ever since they went out of the shoals, that the smallmouth went out of the shoals, which is in probably, it gets a little too cold for their metabolism to stay in water that swift, right? So at some point they move out of these shoal complexes uh, in the fall, uh, late fall, winter, you know, some point when the water temperature, depending on where you live, it could, could vary. But but think about it. When they leave there in, let's say, November, November, December, January, February, March, we're, we're already at five months until the water starts warming up. All the creatures that live in those shoals, whether it's a helgramite, crawfish, smaller bait fish that stay there, they have grown and they have not had a chance. They haven't really been forged on by, by these predator species like smallmouth. So the smallmouth have two urges to get in these pools and shoals. Obviously, the, to spawn, their metabolism increases with the water temperature and they They'll start jumping that first, you know, first rapid to get up into the next pool above and start feeding. And they like to spawn in these shoal complexes because it sounds crazy because you think, why would they spawn in that, you know, those rapids, right? But the rapid sections have a lot bigger rocks and current breaks, so they like to spawn in those areas. And I'm not saying every smallmouth does this and every shoal bass does it, but they kind of all know that's the club at on Saturday night, 11 p.m. on Saturday night. That's where you want to be. And they all congregate there. That's why in the first step, just here, as we're moving into the spring now, the first place you want to target smallmouth and shoal bass and any other species that sort of acts this way is the the tailouts into a pool. The tailout into a pool, but it can't be a tailout into a pool that's small 
And then there's another, it, a rapid with another pool because that's part of that complex. It has to tail out into a pool that is more like a long section of a river that's a quarter mile or a half mile somewhere that they could have been wintering in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And most of them, yep. in my mind, this could be wrong, but most of them I feel like if you're if they're living in a pool that's a quarter or half or a mile long, slower water, they winter there. Most of them swim upstream to that next shoal complex. Some of them could slide downstream as the water, you know, warms. But for whatever reason, I start just just nailing them in the plunge pools, the, the first tail out um, on those current seams and those eddies, those current seams. And you can work those way, way down where it's not that swift anymore. It still has some moderate current further down. You know, maybe it's several hundred yards where this water is still moving a little bit due to that tail out. So now that's that's where I target them in the spring. As you move into uh, further in the spring, when they start spawning and getting aggressive, then they're in, the, in those obvious. That's that's the time of year everyone loves because it's just so easy. I mean, if you really know, once you get out there, it really it can be that easy. It's just like if there's a current break in a in a rapid section and you can get your bait there, that's challenging. Obviously, if you're in a kayak, if you can get a a good moving bait there, spinner bait or chatter bait or something, swim bait, whatever you prefer that moves, buzz bait, then they're they're, you know, just hit as many of those, hit as many of those as you can in a day, and you're going to end up catching a good number of smallmouth because that's kind of where they sit. Um, and whether they're staging to spawn there or they're still just feeding there, they just like to still sit in the current break, uh, so they don't have to expend a lot of energy in those those eddies right behind those rocks. And then they spawn, and then they're in those locations, and you can find them there or somewhere near that current usually. And then after they spawn, they stay in that area because they still got more feeding to do on all those, you know, things that haven't been preyed on for quite some time. Plus, the water is high enough still in the spring where they, a lot of them can still live there and not, you know, not outcompete one another. There's plenty of food and plenty of space, plenty of water, right, volume. Because once you get to lower water, right, you can only have so many fish there before the some of them are just sort of going to outcompete the other ones and say, you know, get out of here, or the food's going to be sort of depleted. But they stay there all summer and, you know, the fall. It gets challenging in the summer and in the, in the fall because of what I just said, they start to spread out a little bit because the water gets lower. And uh, there can only be so many fish there. The water gets clearer, in which case you're going to want to throw a lot of uh, topwater lures and or finesse baits. You can go that opposite direction of what, what I do, too. It works really well. The water gets clearer. And uh, the, the morning can definitely be more of a factor in this clear water in this uh, summer and, and fall, early fall. Uh, one of the only times I tell people I really truly believe that the, the low light situation actually matters on a river. Every other time I don't, I'm like, I don't really care if I wake up at 9 and get on the river at 10 or whatever because it's like a river, man. They just they, they're, they almost bite better sometimes um, and with the sun higher. But in the mornings when it's low and clear, you know, summer and fall, sure, makes a difference for sure. And then – they and then obviously they go back to their wintering holes and you know in the late fall but um you know winter i guess you'd say that once it hits winter they start moving back to those slower waters so that's kind of so now having said all that obviously if uh hey if i'm going fishing somewhere i'm going to look for you know let's say it's a springtime i'm going to be in those locations i just talked about if it's if it's summer they're, they're going to be a little bit more spread out and you might have to find those um deeper water uh outside bins uh because that's kind of where everyone knows the deep water is on the outside bends. And one of the keys is if you have a kayak, take advantage of what it does well. And that is 
and you know, like fishing in boats, we're used to because there's two people fishing them, and you're you're just used to being off the bank and casting at the bank, pulling your lure away from the bank. In a kayak, one of the reasons that you know I love it so much is because, and I'll break a little bit of a myth here: you don't have to present your baits down current. That's I mean that's nice, especially for soft plastics. It helps, but if it's a slower water section so in the winter or in the summer when they spread out and they're in those slower in those pools that are slower those areas with moderate current you could hug right on the bank if you're fishing a bank not a you know whatever rapid section shoals in the middle if you're fishing right you can fish right on the bank and you can parallel the bank upstream and catch them and just nail them because your your bait's covering um it's it's you know, going right along and, and paralleling that structure, and it's in the strike zone, whether the strike zone is probably like, depending on your water clarity, two, three, or four, or five, five feet maybe. If you're paralleling that structure instead of t- throwing it at the bank and pulling it away, which more often than not, they're on the structure on the bank, if that's, if there's no structure in the middle, right? So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a myth that you have to have these presentations that go downstream, and I like to throw buzz baits upstream, go, throwing them downstream, pulling them upstream, parallel it to the structure, whopper ploppers, things like that, chatterbaits, spinnerbaits, but only when it's slow enough, you know, moderate to slower right. current, because then they're not positioned as much. Yeah, so that, that's just a little tip for you guys, because here's here's a question. How many times have you seen a, ba- a bait fish or any, you know, brim, any kind of bait fish swim upstream? Has anybody seen a fish actually swim upstream? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I yes. mean, yeah, I have all the time. Okay. Yeah. And so well, there's this myth that you can't, you know, you can't uh, fish baits and rivers. You got to work it, you know, it, with downstream in the current. And obviously, there, like I said, I should write a book. There's rules to are meant to be broken. That's when the current gets swift enough, or when you're throwing a, a different lure. Sometimes some some of the soft plastics that are lighter don't do well. Yeah. Yeah. Going against the current. Well. You gotta, um, I think what you're saying, just from a common sense perspective, makes sense. I mean, you your lure spending 80% of your cast in the strike zone as opposed to when you're casting perpendicular to the flow, you know, or perpendicular to the bank, you know, you're spending yep. maybe 5 to 10% of your time, 5 to 10% of your cast is actually when your lure is in the strike zone, potentially getting a bite, you know, maybe 15, maybe 20%, but that's the most. That's right. You know, and, then you're, and then you're cranking it back as fast as you can to make that other cast. Yep, you know, finally when, when some measurable output from Chris. <laughs> he's good for one or two an episode so <laughs> a lot shorter and sweeter than i than i did um but you know but some uh baits actually work better that direction people don't think about it a buzz bait works better it's easier to, to get on the surface going the opposite direction yeah um than it is. so anyway and, and here's a, another thing to think about fish have eyes on either side of their head so they don't see like like what we see so let's say they're, they are um, facing, I mean, fish, trout, we get this image in our head of trout and other species and salmon who just literally are in current facing upstream. And that's just not what, what bass do or smallmouth do. They've got a current, they're always hiding behind a current break. So they can really face whatever they want to face, even if they're in current. And it's going to be hard pressed that they happen to be looking so directly upstream that you bring that bait over their back, literally, where they, they do have a few blind spots, you know, where they can't see. Usually they're going to... I forget what the radius is and how many degrees, but they can see not 360 degrees, but it's it's pretty darn close. So they're going to see it, and they're aggressive river fish, and they're gonna they're gonna smash it, man. So, but um, that's that's uh, sort of the long version of your 
question there. <laughs> no, no, that's that's good, man. That's uh, definitely from a seasonal perspective. I should have specified a little bit on that, but um, so if you're if you are looking at a, uh, I guess a river system that let's say the summertime, okay, and you're you're prepping for a tournament. Um, what are some like? For someone to now, I have my own opinion on this question. I'm just curious what you would say. Like, what are some areas you would like completely eliminate? Like, you'd be like, yeah. I'm not going there. Like, what's 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 some characteristics that you might completely yeah, eliminate man. areas? Well, I like to chase the spring, um, and what I mean by that is, I, you know, everyone loves to bite in the spring, right? It's the easiest. They're aggressive, so I try to chase that with as much as I can with water temperature and um, mm, okay. and the current that you get more current in the spring and rivers and creeks. If you can find some that have more current and water temperatures lower, which typically they are in, uh, in the summer, right. And the rivers and creeks that feed into the lakes. I mean, not typically they always are. So you already have a little bit of advantage and that's why in the summer, that's why, I mean, lake fishermen are doing the same thing. They're chasing the spring, but they do it by thermocline. Right. So the therm- they, they go offshore because that's where the fish move. So they want to – now there's still fish that are shallow in uh, in the summer as well. But that we're all kind of – you know, I think even though we don't realize it, we're sort of chasing the spring. And so what I do is I'm finding these rivers and creeks that have good, fresh-flowing water, and I don't want any, you know, stagnant water. If you see a lot of – you know, a ton of gar movement and, and fish that are – lower oxygen fish that are kind of moving around in the area. Not always the best of signs. Doesn't mean that there aren't bass there, but if you lose, you need like a, I would call it a moderate current. You still want that because fish are always wanting to be, I feel like it to them, it's like having a fan on for you and I in the, in the summer when it's hot, it feels so good to have a fan just kind of, you know, hitting you. And I feel like when you've got current, it's, it's that, that cooling effect. And at the same time, it's, it's an oxygen effect, but, but you can't always – I mean, we're talking about smallmouth here, so I know this, this probably doesn't apply as much. But for largemouth, you can't rule out areas that have that are, are blazing hot that have, um, like, vegetation because that provides plenty of oxygen. So people overlook a lot of those areas just because it's there's no current and it's stagnant because largemouth do get in those places. But for smallmouth, it's it's not usually as much the case. But, um, but yeah, I'm kind of chasing that up. That springtime temperature and bite and, and the places that I have to avoid are just any, anywhere that's stagnant, that, that looks and seems low oxygen and doesn't have enough current flow to really position or feel like any fish are going to be there taking advantage of the of the fan, you know, the cooling effect that they need or, or they prefer. Yeah. Do you, do you find like, because we don't have a ton of... Um we we don't have a ton of reservoirs around here which i we didn't mention we we live in indiana by the way it's indiana uh, okay yeah we live you guys were in the missouri well, or the ozarks well uh, yeah we fished i i fished with my buddy went and did that river bass and one in in the ozarks so that's probably what you yeah, you remember me from but um so we don't have a ton of reservoirs with smallmouth there's a few so ours are mostly native river fish like that's where they live all year round which is Obviously, a, a completely different uh, strategy, especially when you start talking about fall and winter time. But like, what? Wh- how do you like determine on a on a river that feeds into a, a a lake? Like, at what point do those fish live in that river all year round, or like go you know decide to go into the deeper water that is cooler and more oxygenated? Like, yeah. 
like do you ever get into river portions of the river like especially like right up against the lake where there's like it's like barren like there's no fish like at what point does it transition where you start getting those like native river fish yeah that's a really good question man because smallmouth they do it's very common knowledge i mean if you're into this smallmouth world that smallmouth do like to run at lake smallmouth like to run up rivers to spawn not all of them but a lot of them uh just as an example you know now that and we're not that far away. We'll have to go fishing sometime. I'm in northeast Ohio. But, yeah, for sure. Uh, Lake Erie's, you know, hour from me, 45 minutes hour. And we were fishing one time with my father-in-law. It was spring. And, uh, man, we, we just – we thought we were going to catch either steelhead or maybe some smallmouth. And this river is – I'm talking. There's – you put your paddle down, you're hitting the bottom. And, like, every every time you test it, it's like a foot. Flat rock everywhere, a <laughs> foot and a half. It, you'd be hard-pressed to find three foot of water in this thing. And – um People are like, oh no, there's there's smallmouth in there, and I'm like, where are they hiding? What is here? It just is nothing, right? And and it's true, we didn't really catch anything, but at one point, out of nowhere, my father-in-law cooks a like a five-something pound smallmouth, and it was not. We're probably I don't know, five miles from Lake Erie, this five to seven, and this fish 100 percent, 100 percent went from Lake Erie up this, this river. This because it because imagine we're in the spring when there's water in it. I mean, this thing is six inches to a foot most most places, uh, any time, any other time of the year, if not even just lower. It's just almost bone dry. And so that was a, a fish that was up there to spawn. And some I've got some biologist friends, which, by the way, a little bit of an insight for you guys and your audience, a shout-out. Whenever you're listening to this, I don't know how quickly you'll post it, but I'm sure you'll post it before I post my next podcast with Hooked on Wild Waters. I'm having a biologist on uh, who's a good friend of mine, Dr. Steve Sammons from Auburn, who did – shoal bass research he's done research mm-hmm. on largemouth you start googling stuff every once in a while looking for for information on lakes or fish sometimes you'll find some of his uh papers or his whatever they do theses or whatever and mm-hmm. um he's going to talk about all the species of bass and we're going to talk about everything so people understand what which ones are actually separate species now what's going on here blah 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 he knows about it all so but he the reason i bring him up is because um obviously i think it'd be interesting for your listeners to to listen to that podcast so again it's hooked on wild waters podcast and i believe he's done his friends that he did studies on the smallmouth or other people but i believe if it wasn't smallmouth it's shoal bass which again you can almost inter, interchange those on these studies but i know for a fact that when they tracked shoal bass, it was 40 miles. They saw some move 40 miles to Jeez. go to a certain spawning shoal, spawning grounds. And it wasn't like just one of them happened to go 40. A lot of them went 40 miles. And river smallmouth are very similar. And I believe he's told me before, and I'll have to get into this with him on that podcast, but they have tracked – because these similar studies have been done on smallmouth. Because I can't get into it now, but there's reasons why these studies are important, right? So – we need to know where the fish are going, what they're doing, and and blah, blah, blah. So the states need to know this so they can manage their fishery. So these smallmouth have moved as much as 40 miles. So the lake smallmouth, whether you're in a Dale Hollow or you're in, you know, a lot of these lakes have creeks and they don't really have water in them, enough water to support what I just talked about earlier in in the podcast. It's like enough water gets in the shoals that a bunch of them get in there and live and eat those creatures that live there. But then at some point, the majority of the, of the year, there's not enough water in there to hold that many of them. And if you're bigger and you need a, a bit a better food source, you'd run back to the lake where you've got shad and lots of other food. But I agree with you. There's a for smallmouth. There's probably a 
this water's too hot. You know what I mean? And the in the right when the creek dumps in and it gets silty, silted in. Yeah. This is too hot. There's not enough. It's covering up all the rock, which I feel like is there. Shoal bass and smallmouth want rock. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ah, uh, we're out of here. We got to go move back to these uh, deeper points, you know, these 15, 20 foot and, and deeper points uh, with rock and riprap, maybe some areas that have a little bit, you know. So I, that's a good question, man. They, they move a long ways, and it's pretty cool that these fish do that because it's what makes them so different from largemouth, and, and we have to kind of chase them and follow them and track their movements and understand their migrations. But uh, that's a good good question. Yeah, it is, it's crazy how to watch like the kind of migratory habits of smallmouth because we've seen, um, you know, we fish some of the rivers where one, we've caught the same fish before and we kind of see like how far they move. Um, even in, a, in just a river system, you know, you, it's, it's cool to watch. Uh, and especially like spawning time, you can see like, like, holy crap, all these fish came here just to spawn. It's like, how did they know to come here? You know, it was like a really like advantageous. We had a trip this summer. I'm not, or this spring, I'm not going to, um, not going to give away the, uh, area we were fishing, but, uh, we, it was like, we went into this area and it was like <laughs> just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beds everywhere. And it was like, these fish like knew, like, this is the place to go. And it it was weird because it was like a really protected area and they like, they knew to go there and it was like, and, and I'm sure those fish are like gone after they spawn, like they're yeah. out of there. So it was yeah. really cool to see like how, you know, it's like, it, you know, they're, they're just primal that way. They're like, no, you know, Hey, that's where you go. That's where, this is the best chance we're going to have it. You know, our, our rise to arriving. Yeah. It's so true, man. It really is like a major city. If you're young, you haven't met somebody yet. It, you know, you're out of college. Like where am I going to go? You don't move to the middle of the country to be all alone. You go to, cause you kind of have that natural instinct. Like, Hey, you know, babes, sweet. You know, come on see what's up with that. <laughs> so, so you, uh, you know, roll in there. Uh, you crack a beer, you chug it like Chris as fast as you can. Get you quiet for too long. So, Drew, one of the one of the questions that that Josh has on here is, uh, which I'd be interested to hear a response from you, is because you fish just about everywhere, and like us, you've traveled around and fished a lot of rivers. So, uh, out of all the wild places that you fished. Uh, what was your all-time favorite place, uh, considering size of fish, scenery, um, that yeah, type of thing? That's a good one. It's it's hard to beat the Devil's River like you guys talked about. I know it's such a just – everyone talks about a bucket list, and there's other rivers that are like that um, you know, over there that probably don't get mentioned as much, that are a little harder to access, uh, the Pecos maybe, but it's just not as many smallmouth, if really hardly any, if any, anymore. Right. Um, if they ever really were there, I don't, and again, I don't know why that's a weird one. Like Amistad has them in there. So why would they not go up there and live there? That's a mystery to me, but from everywhere, you know, everyone I've talked to, they're just not there. But you know, the Susquehanna river is, is hard to beat just cause it is so wide and shallow and so much good, you know, wading and kayak fishing habitat and boats can't get there. So there's just, it's just unbelievable fishery. And then, um, I'm trying to think some other there's some trying to think some other good places for smallmouth. Um I don't know how many people live uh listened in the northwest, but 
uh, and I got a chance. I didn't really get a chance to do it hardcore, but I know there's some big ones up there, and uh, on the Columbia River, and they're kind of looked at and seen as a nuisance because they eat uh, the bass, steelhead. Yeah, yeah, steelhead and salmon and other species that like that that run up the rivers and spawn. Um, so a lot of people prefer those, and that's sort of the native stuff there. So they don't. But you know, the Snake River is somewhere I want to go that I know is got amazing smallmouth and there's some other lakes in idaho that got some giants but as far as you know where i've been um susquehanna is hard to beat and uh so is the devils but uh lake did erie you, on the when you did that one when you did the video that we were talking about earlier on the podcast did you do that were you on your own or did you have people with you i did have people with me yeah on that, that trip i, uh, I want to say uh brady sullivan was with me on that that trip originally and and maybe it was just Brady. I can't remember if Brooks Beatty went with me or not on that one. But um, yeah, those are. That's just an epic place. I mean, just the scenery. It, if you can imagine the blue sky with lime green, the, the few trees are there. They're there because they're right on the river, right? So they've got some water, and then the lime green colored trees with, in many locations, uh, bright lime green lily pads and grass in the water, with. These sand-colored rocks. I mean, it's all the most perfectly palated, contrasting colors you've ever seen. It's unbelievable. And the water's blue, like the Florida Keys, and it's... It just it's seems a, out of place, it's too, awesome. right? It's like it does. Know, the desert, pretty much. Well, it's... Uh, it's it, I don't know if it's like this anymore, but there was like, a, from what I understood, at least, you know, a few years ago, there's like when you fish it, it's like a 40 mile stretch or whatever that is. And that's between put in and take out. So it's like you were pretty much relegated to fishing and camping for a few days. Yeah, it, it is. It's a long, long section. And and I think it pretty much is like that. Still, you have to do a real long section. Can't do it quickly, but, um, and it's a place with that clear water and uh, you got to make long casts, which is probably something I should have mentioned on earlier, by the way, on the, when you're in the summer, uh, low light's important, but if, if, obviously, you're going to fish in more than low-light conditions, and the Devil's River, this is key. Then the longer casts you can make, um, you know, eight-pound test or something, six, something that just really will sling on a spinning rod, if you're throwing a spinning rod and a baitcaster, you got to really chunk baits far, and that's a real a little tip I want to make sure I didn't forget to mention. It's it's very uh, you know applicable here, talking about the Devils and clear water. So if you find yourself in the summer and any other clear water guys, long, 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 long casts will help you and do not underestimate. And this is again with the devils and anywhere else in the summer, it's clear. Do not underestimate how shallow a smallmouth will get. It's pretty oh, yeah. insane how shallow I've seen <laughs> them get and how big they are in that shallow water. And you just, it's even though it's summer, you, you, I think a lot of people think in these other rivers that have deep holes and stuff. Well, I gotta, I gotta drop a Ned rig in this deep hole. And they are so shallow. It is shocking sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy when you see it, especially when they're out, um, when they're out, like cruising, which is usually when they're feeding. You know, they're like in that, like, you know, less than a foot of water, and you see, <laughs> you, you know, see 18, 19, 20 inch smallmouth. Yeah. Well, that's what happens most of the time. You usually spook them, but <laughs> yeah. But if you catch them, you see, and you make that cast to them, 
the when you see that big body move, you know, it's almost like their backs are sticking out of the water. Yeah. It's like super cool. And then you can usually see them, you know, torpedo over to your bait. That's like yeah. some of the coolest takes that I've ever had. I've been in that like really shallow water. Um, and they're just like, you know, almost like just like come out of the water and just smash your lure. That's right. It, it is. And, it, yeah. and like you said, usually you spook them because – we're not making long enough casts uh, sometimes, and are we just? Are you, looking you know what I mean? Like, you think there's no way, there's no way anything's over there, you know? <laughs> and then you mm-hmm. go up there, and there's a big boys cruising around up there. That's so exactly what happens. And the shallower the water, guys, the further the strike, and the clearer and shallower water, the further in distance their strike zone is. So right you're in muddy, muddy water in the in the spring and you're fishing those plunge pools like i'm talking about you gotta put it in their fan, face yeah if you're yeah. fan casting you might need to fan cast like if you're facing forward you might need to fan cast over at let's start from the right here at three o'clock and then you go to two thirty, two o'clock you know but if you're in the summer and it's and obviously you keep moving around to, to nine o'clock right just just fan cast in small increments right in little 15 minute 30 minute increments just you, you need to hit them on the on the head, like you're saying. It's murkier water. They they're relying more on the lateral line, but smallmouth are really they want the, to be in clear water. They want that sight in the summer or anytime it's clear. Man, if it's shallow and clear, you can literally throw at like three o'clock and then throw again at like you know one o'clock or noon straight ahead of you and then throw again over at uh, whatever like ten ten thirty or. And then really just could take three, it could take three casts and you could cover that whole swath in front of you because, you know, the distance that they spook from you when it's in that clear water is the distance of their strike zone and what they can see. Does that make sense? So when you see, yeah. oh yeah, you're like, yeah. oh my goodness, that fish is way over there, but I see it. That's, that should tell you how many casts you need to make to cover an area and then move on and make more. Cause the more casts you can because otherwise you're just wasting you're just sitting there casting for no reason like they would see it they would go after us anyway it's we're, we're no that's topic but it's good stuff i'm sure no that's super cool um and do you so it sounds like you haven't done a lot of fishing up like in the like north woods area do you, you ever go like minnesota wisconsin michigan type uh, stuff no not not really that's where i want to get this year because i'm actually going to fish the the two hopefully and last year i was supposed to fish the two upper mississippi river uh across tournaments i want to mm-hmm. get to those but i have fished canada several times um, okay yeah not so. canada around the minnesota side but canada more uh you know i went to went through vermont or up new york one time and then recently my uh, in-laws have a friend that has a cabin in canada and we go up there and uh, i've been up there well just once uh but hopefully we'll, we'll do more and then uh the, the owner of crescent kayaks james derbecker he uh, has a uh He's actually from Canada originally, even though you know we're based in Georgia. But uh, he got, he goes up there like every summer. That's his his happy place. He says he gets away from oh, yeah. people, and his family has a cabin up there, and there are giant fish up there in Georgian Bay, where he is. Um, and, and so yeah, I'm excited to do a little bit more of that now that I'm closer. So definitely have. Well, you've got Canada. you've got the best smallmouth fishing in the world in your in your strike zone now. So uh, <laughs> right. the woods smallmouth are unreal. Um, yeah. I- I would say we. I did uh, the Susquehanna a couple years ago, and that that place is just like a whole other. Like if you haven't been there, like you you get on it and you're just like, holy crap! Like what, where do I go? <laughs> like it's yeah. like you know it's like almost overwhelming. Um, but uh, we if you, I know you're going to do Upper Mississippi. If you're in the Lacrosse area, 
and you have time either before or after to do like some recreational fishing, yeah. go up further on the Mississippi River, dude. I I'll I'll just if you just hit me up offline and I'll tell All you right. where to go. There's it's some it's, it's some outrageous like best we've been every you know not everywhere but pretty much everywhere smallmouth fishing that's like our one a choice by far to go yeah. to yeah so. no, i mean i can't wait to get over there and check that out because it's such an epic river it's it's always been on my bucket list i've tried to schedule hooked on wild waters episodes up there it's never worked it out and it was going to be north of minneapolis you know further north by you know an hour or two but i'm sure there's so many tributaries i mean i've looked at the whole river. i'm a geek with google maps i've looked at all those rivers and the, and then the tributaries that even like flow into they're still big rivers big enough to hold you know 20 oh, yeah. smallmouth obviously so there's so many of them in, up there wisconsin and uh even too has some good stuff and um oh yeah in, in michigan as well but but really like you're saying minnesota and that whole area is just unbelievable another one i'll throw in there is the new river in the southeast is obviously you know world class and if you don't know speaking of you know rivers that have a little bit of history you know mississippi being sort of um you know, the longest in, in the U.S. here. The New River is the second oldest in the world. And I don't know how they really figure this stuff out, guys, but I know for a fact it is the second oldest river in the world, and the bluffs on that place, you can kind of I say, you can tell it's old yeah, when you go you there. Know. It's like, yeah, that crack's been there a long time. It has. <laughs> and it's, it flows north, which is kind of rare, too. So Yeah, it's, it's a, a cool, cool river. river. Yeah. Is. Yeah, I've been there one, one time. It was a dink fest when You've I went. You've been there but... twice, doggy. I have? Oh yeah, we did go. Yeah, we did. We went there. Uh, we did the James River a couple of years back, and we ended up doing part of the new. Which it, it's it's yeah. I've just never been there. I've never hit it right. You know, it's like any other place. You know, and that place does get. See, that's you know, I don't want to get too much into it, but the difference between like the New River and like or even Susquehanna and the Susquehanna. I got corrected on that, by the way. It's Susquehanna. Um, but uh, the difference between those two rivers and like the upper Mississippi is pressure. Yeah. Like sure. the new gets a lot of pressure. Susquehanna gets a lot of pressure. The upper Mississippi, man, everybody's like fishing for walleyes and lakes up there. And, like nobody fishes for smallmouth. So it's like. Musky. We're going after yeah. musky. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like right. you go up there. We were up there for four days literally didn't see one other we did see one other guy smallmouth fishing in in four days uh, and it was opening weekend or the second it was the weekend after opening weekend so it was like if any time you're gonna go up there you would think it it'd be then but it was think, man. It yeah think. it was crazy and the, and the coolest places i mentioned these big rivers but let's face it guys i'm not gonna come on here and, let, and mention some little small creek that's awesome smallmouth fishing because that's just not the proper etiquette but that's what the cool thing about smallmouth and, and shoal bass and other just red eye bass anything that is a bass species that is a river very river focused species that's what's cool about them you can catch them in these little teeny small creeks so take any of the, these awesome rivers that you've seen heard about all over the internet you find them for smallmouth and just go look at the creeks that are floatable with a kayak and i promise you they've got them in there too and it could even be even even better and it'd be and it's even cooler of an environment to catch a big smallmouth in too so those are really the places to answer your Oh, yeah yeah i get it i get it uh yeah we don't we that's about all we have in indiana it's got kind of smaller small smallish rivers uh there's only i mean our jet boats we can take them on like two rivers around here so it's oh, yeah. not, not yeah, it's a, got some it's a sleeper indiana's a sleeper guys i'm not 
kind of. I was gonna. I was gonna ask if you fit here, Drew. I know. Well, I know northern Ohio is where all the fish are. Everybody should be going there. They're in Erie. Uh, that's true. There are footballs in Erie here, but uh, no, I know, I know, uh, Chad Miller and some guys that are over there that. Uh, oh yeah, can yeah, get we some know. Big ones, so. Yeah, we know Chad really well. See him, yeah, yeah. see him about every other time we go out. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I figured you're yeah. fishing same, same waters. He knows what he's doing, and you guys do too. And, and it's just cool though that the community really is so much behind catch and release you know it's pretty cool and, and very mm-hmm. respectful we're teaching people and I, I talked about that stray cast podcast and they do something called proper bass and man i've been tagging it it's pretty funny but they're really on this big kick about teaching the younger generation how to be a proper bass and man hashtag proper <laughs> and a proper i like bass it and man doesn't go on a podcast and I, like if it in in exploit these small creeks. I don't. You don't do that, right? So for my, for me, I was a proper bassin man by not doing that. Proper bassin man also does what you said earlier. I think it was Chris. Maybe it was you, Josh. You don't fish. You don't leap frog right in front of somebody on a river and start fishing right in front of them. You go a mile, oh, yeah. half mile ahead. You went the extra mile, really, because I would say, yeah, go like a half mile ahead, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. well, it depends on how big the river is. How to, yeah, it depends on how big the river is. I guess yeah. if it's a creek. That's what we call a low hole. In- so yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> the proper bass well, man to do that. So Josh, let's get let's hit like three more of these. Drew, I would say Drew, honestly, man, I I have more well, questions, I, I, but I, there are a couple that I wanted to. I wanted well, you to ask, uh, you go so go ahead, is Chris. Drew Crawl named after you. That's what I want to know. You know, I've been asked that before. No. Oh man, that totally disappoints me. <laughs> I know, I know. Drew Crawl is not named after me, but I will give you guys some insight here. That I don't I don't mind sharing this. Um. I was I've been working on a lure with Z-Man for a while. <laughs> it's a very good river lure. And is this a, is this what you're hitting at earlier? It's not. Well, it kind of is. I can't get it kind of is. But uh, we're going to end up doing a and it was a wire bait and it's too hard to get into the details on why that's never going to see the light of day with Z-Man. It may see the light of the day somewhere else, which is sort of what I maybe was hinting at. But I'm going to do a, uh, a lure with them that's going to be like a plastic lure. I don't know when it's going to come out, but they've said, yeah, we instead of doing that wire bait, you've worked hard on developing it and all that, and we, we think it's great, but, you know, they can't. Basically, the bottom line is they're, they play this big volume game. You know, you buy Z-Man at oh, Walmart, yeah. right? The Academy, yeah. Bass Pro, Cabela's. To, to play that game in, the, in our world, you have to have a, a lot of the baits have to get made, you know, overseas. There's just no other way, whether it's a, Car- a Caribbean island or Vietnam, or China, whatever, it just has to be done. So, uh, but they make those plastics in South Carolina, right? So, uh, and then, and then, uh, so what they said was, hey, this is a cool design, but, you know, we just aren't sure we can risk buying the, the amount we need to buy from an overseas manufacturer on this idea, because what if it's not the hit we think or whatever, because then we're stuck with all its inventory, which they are the smartest company I work with in terms of business. So I respected that. So I may be getting it made somewhere else. That, that lure, more to come on that in the future. But uh, I will be doing a, a, some sort of soft plastic lure with, with them. So if anybody out there has anything they would like to, to see made, soft plastic, so whether it's a swim bait or a crawl or uh, any other sort of uh, bait that may catch smallmouth, hit me up because I've got an opportunity to kind of work with them on something. I don't know if this will be a 2022 lure or, or 23 or when, but we're, work, we're going to start working on it here this year. So eventually. Mm. It won't be yeah, just a color. Really cool. It's actually a bait. It's it's a Drew bait with, with Z-Man. So we'll see what happens <laughs> All there. All right. 
Well, that's that, that's awesome, man. Uh, and then, so two more questions, and then we'll let you go. So we're gonna limit it to two. I'll ask mine, and then I'll let Josh. You can ask the last one here. So, um, so any are there any particular events that you're looking forward to for this year? Absolutely, man. The, the number one event I'm probably most looking forward to is Lake Champlain. It's just world class. You can catch largemouth, smallmouth. It's so gigantic. It's up north, like you guys said. It hits that sort of that uh, you know longitude latitude line, if you will, just up north where not everybody bass fishes. You know what I mean? Sure. Like the, they're they're focused on other species. Plus, once you get to a certain point, it just the fish just get. I don't know, man, if stupid is the right word, but it kind of is like there's some there's some places that don't get as much pressure. And there's just so many bass that I mean, the Bassmaster guys will tell you, I got you know, a good friend of mine is Matt Airy um, fishes on the Bassmaster Elite Series. And, man, you know, he says, look, you just got to go to the St. Lawrence. I mean, the, anywhere up north like that, they're just fish are just it's just a different world. They're just stupid. And of course, we guys we talked about that earlier with going up north, Northwoods, any anywhere like that. But Champlain in my you know, my mind is is that direction. Plus, it's there's smallmouth there, which I love to target. Plus, it's new. Anywhere I can go that's new, I've not. There's a lot of history there too. That that yeah. would be a cool trip if you take oh, some right. of the local. Yeah, Fort Ticonderoga is there. There's mm-hmm. a little, little shoot Portage. There's you know a lot of really right. cool like old America stuff there too. So exactly, and, and just the yeah. fact that I get to scout out a new place on Google Maps and new creeks and rivers that I've never researched before. Because to me, that's the the fun, the probably the most fun in all these tournaments is really just looking at the maps of these places before you go and anywhere that's new. But Lacrosse would be the other one I would say I'm most looking forward to because I've never fished the upper. Mississippi, and that's still not as upper as I'd like to be, but it's it's pretty awesome from what I hear. So, yeah, um, that that lacrosse area has a lot of like oxbows and like sloughs and stuff like around there. Is that is that right? Around that lacrosse oh, yeah, yeah. area. Oh yeah, there's dams. I think, they fish, I think they fish like major like hard boat tournaments there. They do. Like yeah, yeah. so you need to mm-hmm. set aside another day. Uh, I for sure do, but I mean at least uh, they're allowing us to fish. I think well that. They usually on the rules last year you can fish three of the pools and I and, I, and you're right the bass boats can get in all three of these pools but uh, but there's so many areas that bass boats can't get and so many creeks and rivers that still feed in there so I'm, I'm looking forward to that and, and not a surprise that the two places I'm looking forward to the most uh, have smallmouth so there you go <laughs> yeah okay so my question would be um, so if you had to rank uh, your favorite game fish, and you could include saltwater in this if because I'm sure you've fished enough saltwater before. Um, where would you rank smallmouth on that list? You know, they're they're probably number one. Honestly, they, Ooh, they really are. And okay. people, I'm not just like pandering to the small <laughs> You are. It's okay. It's totally cool. It's a very <laughs> number one platform. I, I mean, my logic is just simple. Like people ask me what's, cause I've caught all the bass species, every single one of them. I've caught them. So they say, what's the hardest fighting species? And I always say, well, it's, it's smallmouth. There are one, there is a one A and one B in my mind. And one A is smallmouth and one B is shoal bass, but shoal bass tire quicker than a smallmouth does. Um, and, and they don't, they aren't quite as fast. I've never had to, I've never lost contact with a, a shoal bass when when it when they make a run towards me i've never been able to not keep up with them with my reel mm. and i think we've all been in that position before where smallmouth runs at you and you're just oh, like yeah. holy cow i can't keep up <laughs> yeah. so fast and just some stats i mean 
fast, and I'm sure smallmouth are the fastest, but they can do they can shoot into bursts of like 18 miles an hour, and maybe smaller is a little bit more, but um, bass in general. I don't know where I heard that one time, but it, but I'm pretty sure it could have even been by uh, my friend Steve, who's the biologist. But they can do spurts of 18 miles an hour. I'm pretty sure smallmouth go a little faster. So they're just the fastest, and they and because they are so aggressive and they're river fish, I love them because that's where I love to fish, and they jump so high, higher than any other, other fish. The only thing that, that shoal bass have that smallmouth don't have that I do love about shoal bass and why they're, they're so close in my mind, not that you can't catch smallmouth on big baits and big swim baits because you can, but there's nothing like catching a shoal bass in a very small little plunge pool. Uh, maybe it's a big shoal complex, but it's a teeny little eddy plunge pool, or maybe it's a teeny little creek. There's nothing like flipping in there in some murky water and you're, you know, whatever, like 20 yards from this fish or 10, 15, 20 yards. You can be real close. And with a, a seven or eight inch swim bait and feeling that, literally just feeling the slack. We know when they hit like that and the slack just goes in your line and they thump it so hard. And then you can lay into them. It's just kind of fun throwing and, and launching huge baits because they, you know, have a bigger mouth. Like not, not quite as big as, as a large mouth, but that's why they're yeah. a bee in my mind. So. Yeah, which I've never caught a stroll bass before, and I don't think Chris has either. So that's no. something where we've – there. I you had one uh, video in particular where you were catching them on buzz baits, and I was like, oh, my God, I need to go yeah, catch these exactly. fish. No, uh, are, are something else, man. They really are. Yeah, that, that seems like – they're just like not – they're – you can't find them in very many places. I know it's a pretty like, yeah. limited area where you have to go for right. them. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's all I had, man. Uh, before I forget, though, I wanted to give a shout out to my boy Jeremy Crow because uh, he, I think, he might have texted you. To right. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jeremy's a super good guy. We haven't had him on the podcast, but I owe him an episode, so I'm gonna have him come on here. But he's a, he's about as river rat of a guy as it gets. <laughs> Awesome, awesome guy, man. He is. I love Jeremy, man. He's a, a good dude, a good friend of mine. And you know, we don't talk like all he's the starting time. Starting fly fishing now, so yeah. Well, he got a boat. I saw he got a boat. Yeah, he got a jet. You know, yeah. But anytime, yeah. you know, that guy calls me up. I'm just, I'm excited to see his name pop up and, and talk to him. And and I think a lot of the guys that fish the river bass and tournament trail, and I met through that, uh, you know, the fish that trail that I ran. It just, we'll always have this sort of bond. You know, it was just a really cool thing that, you know we did and you know i'm just glad they still like you said we talked about earlier a lot of rivers in these other tournaments so i can be a part of actually fishing these because it's a, way more fun to fish it than it is to run it so um hey before yeah. i wrap up i do want to say I, before i love this podcast I, I i made a couple notes and one thing i want to mention real quick fish a technique in the summer spring summer low clear water again it works really well that i don't hear a lot of people talking about for smallmouth is a Z-Man Streaks or any other soft plastic jerkbait on a weighted, a slightly weighted, 116th or 1/8, whatever, hook that you skip and you, you swim across the surface as fast as you can move it and you pop your rod so it looks like a bait fish jumping. Like, you know, you notice those little minnows mm -hmm. jumping and skipping and, and smallmouth attacking them. Oh, yeah. That is, and I actually posted a video uh, recently. Of, I saw it. I'm the Susquehanna. Yeah. I'm swimming <laughs> that Streaks in. I'm telling you right now, guys. Wherever you are, these small creeks, summer, clear water, anywhere clear water, aggressive, you know, high high temperature water, sling it as far as you can, hold your rod up high and swim it. And let it not just don't pop it the whole time. Let it do its thing where it just swims straight. Drew, you're right. giving away my secret technique, bro. <laughs> Come on now. I'm I'm known as I'm the OG fluke master. 
You know, so Gene Jensen to- totally stole that for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's, this is, you're like describing my exact technique that I like to use. <laughs> you know, it works, man. And you can, if they start chasing it, you see them miss it, just kill it a little bit and they'll, they'll get it good. And then it's an awesome. Oh, yeah. So I want to mention, and the key to using the Z-Man baits uh, is you can add a weight to it so you can get a longer cast. See, if you don't, if you don't mm. have a bait that floats like that, See, you can put a one sixteenth ounce weight weighted hook, and the Z Man will virtually, uh, you know, still float almost. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I can, I can, I usually use like a one eight because I can launch it even further. And then again, we talked about earlier, bringing that bait across current or even slightly back up current, it will elevate that lure even more and just oh, yeah. swim it right on the surface, no problem. It's not that hard, even with a lower gear ratio spinning reel, and you can, or you can use it. You know, you can do this on a bait caster too with a one eight ounce. So you could probably get away with it. Um, you could even go to a three sixteenth, but either way, guys, that's a good technique. It'll catch you. Yeah. Catch the small mouth. So I want to make sure the Smalley podcast guys knew about that, and uh, and also that you know we got some exciting stuff coming with Crescent Kayaks and a oh, new yeah. design that I'm working on with Crescent Kayaks. It will be, uh, I think, very well received by the small mouth, you know, anglers and in the places they fish. So I'll just leave it at that. So. Yeah, I'm a, I'm excited to see that. I I'm on the Wilderness Systems team, but. Um, you know, you don't know. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I can't switch off of that team. But uh, uh, I would. I would fish out of a crescent for sure. So I wouldn't be ashamed to do that. Uh, yeah, th- those look like good river boats um, for sure. But following up on that that Z-Man streaks thing, because I've actually thought about throwing Z-Man. The the one thing that I always come back to is it doesn't sink. So there, because that technique specifically, one thing I like about it is. If you do get, like, they're in that feeding frenzy and they're, like, you get that uh, reaction bite, sometimes they'll miss it. And you can kill, like a fluke, you can kill it and it almost looks like a dying minnow, you know, just, like, sinking. Um, and I nose hook mine. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I, I nose hook it. But using weight with that, the, and the bad thing about that is I go through, like, a pack an hour because, <laughs> you know, that tears the nose off. But using a weighted uh, hook is with that Z-Man plastic, that's – I'm going to have to try that out. So. Yeah, so you're, you nose hook it with – is it more like a smaller hook, like a drop shot hook or something, like a small one? Yeah, like a uh, – usually like a wacky style hook. Yeah, so, like, almost like a circle hook, but, yeah, like a finesse hook. Yeah, so that – the little bit of weight on that makes it slowly sink. Uh, yeah, but, well, just a fluke is just because it has the zoom, uh, plastic has oh, salt in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I haven't, that's why I haven't tried the Z-Man stuff. Cause I'm like, man, it'd be so nice to have, you know, that, that Elastec just lasts like 10 times longer than any, any other soft plastic. So I just, you know, I give zoom a lot of my money <laughs> because of that. So, uh, it does work. I mean, try it with that weighted hook, um, on the Z-Man and it, it allows you to make longer casts than you'll ever be able to make with your setup because you're getting weight on it. Right. So when you do see fish busting or you, or you're just trying to get as long a cast as possible, um, because the water's low and clear, it, it gives you a little bit extra advantage. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You're going to get a further cast and not spook those fish because they can hear you coming a lot. Oh yeah. Realize, so. Yeah, stealth is a is very underrated technique in fishing for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. Well, why don't you give everybody your like social media, you know, handles and all that, just so you know they can look you up if they're not familiar. Sure, sure. So on YouTube, I'm hoping to do a lot more videos um, this year. Now that I've 
moved my family up to Ohio and kind of coronavirus year would cause me to not do as much with that. Um, but so stay in touch with that channel. It's just Drew Gregory Fishing. Uh, it used to be called Hooked on Wild Waters, but it, I just changed it to Drew Gregory Fishing now that I'm not technically doing the, the show that's titled that anymore. And then same thing with uh, Instagram, Drew Gregory Fishing and Facebook page. You guys go give it a like. I mean, it really helps us out. Uh, obviously, uh, the more, more followers we get, it's not really where I make my income is how many followers, but it definitely helps us out and gives us a little bit better reach so we can continue to um, – just grow what we're doing and uh and, and continue to grow it in the right way by being proper bassin men, right? So we really appreciate it. And uh you know, I'm on Twitter too. You know, I don't really use Twitter that much, but I'm on there as Bass or Drew. If you guys want to check that out. But um yeah, those are the main ones. My 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 favorite one is Instagram. So if you guys hit me up on there, that's that's the best way I think follow along. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Well thanks for coming on. Yeah. And and uh every every episode we, we do a, a saying Free the fighter, baby. So give us a free the fighter, Drew. That's right. Free the fighter. All right. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, man. All right. Love See you guys. Thanks. Thanks, man.